This week, the mic drop is all about star power. We're joined by Dallas native Rachel Lindsay of Bachelor and Bachelorette fame. She talks Dallas sports and why it is so important for her to support our school teachers through the College Football Playoff Foundation. But first, ESPN tennis analyst Brad Gilbert breaks down the very strong field for the upcoming Dallas Open. It's the ATP Tours return to our fair city for the first time since 1989. He talks about the state of American men's tennis and the power of Dallas as a tennis town. Then, George Donham of the ticket looks ahead to the tough decisions the Cowboys have to make this offseason and reminisces about a popular Dallas Mavericks jumbotron mascot from the reunion arena days that he'd like to see return. So let's drop the mic and let's go. Paul, the executive director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with next level Marcus Carr of Tony Fay PR. Monica, somehow we have arrived at episode 46. Uh, some Cowboys fans will think of scrappy late 1970s defensive back Mark Washington when they think of the number 46. He, he, he blocked a Baltimore Colts, remember them? A Baltimore Colts extra point attempt in Super Bowl V. But for episode 46, we're going with Bert Hooten because I know we need a good UT Longhorn fix for you. He was a All-America at, at UT, College Hall of Famer, drafted by the Cubs in 1971, and is one of those few pitchers that went right to the majors without spending any time in minor league baseball, threw a no-hitter in just his fourth game. Uh, but his most success was with the Dodgers, MVP of the 1981 NLCS, played on the 81 World Series championship team. He's a low-key guy. In fact, uh, iconic Dodgers play-by-play announcer Vin Scully said that uh, when they won the World Series, Burt went out and painted the town beige. That's the kind of uh, excitement uh, that Burt brought. He finished his 15-year career wearing number 46 for the Rangers back in 1985. He went 5-8 and eight and called it a career, a nice career, finishing with 151 wins. So for episode 46, we're thinking about Texas Longhorn and Texas Ranger, number 46. Although I'm not sure he wore 46 with the Longhorns, Monica. But uh, Bert Hooten, number 46 for episode 46. Another big news flash for you, Monica. Uh, recently, the PGA Tour announced that they were going to partner with Netflix uh, on a documentary series, one of those all-access series like Formula One has done with Drive to, Sur- Drive to Survive. Jordan Spieth. Uh, Dallas's own, of course, is among the many notables that have signed up to to uh, to participate. But brace yourself for a mic drop moment, Monica, because Brooks Kepka is go- going to allow the Netflix cameras to follow him all around the uh, the PGA Tour schedule. The show's not going to come out till 2023. How the heck are you going to handle the long wait? Well, Sully, first off, uh, 2023 is like right around the corner for us. So I'm, I don't feel like that's a long wait, but my gosh, I, I think they're onto something here. It definitely increase uh, some viewership and well, yeah, increase some viewership from a golf standpoint. So I'm, I'm quite excited about this just to see a little, uh, I'll watch the other golfers too, but you know, Brooks is my favorite. So uh, uh, excited about that. Just right around the corner and great to, to, feature some you know golf and uh, hopefully highlight some of uh, what we have coming up uh, down the pipe here in Dallas area. Absolutely. So we've got a great show today. We've got Rachel Lindsay of Bachelor and Bachelorette fame. We've got the award-winning George Dunham of the ticket coming up and back in a moment with ESPN tennis analyst Brad Gilbert to talk about the upcoming Dallas Open. But first over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. All right, Sally, what are you doing this weekend? Because I'm going to the Dallas Zoo. The Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with its more than 2,000 animals. Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com today to purchase your tickets. Pleased to be joined now by Brad Gilbert in his 16th year as a tennis analyst at ESPN. 
He played professionally from 1982 to 95, winning 20 titles. He ranked as high as number four in the world in 1990, won a bronze medal at the 88 Olympics in, in Seoul, at a 10 and five record in Davis Cup competition. And, and Brad will be back in Dallas for ESPN's coverage of the Dallas Open February 6th through 13th at the Steislinger All-Tech Tennis Complex at SMU. Brad, welcome to the mic drop. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Did not know that much uh, knowledge on number 46, Bert, be home by 11, Bly 11. <laughs> you know, you were dropping a lot of 46 knowledge. Actually, believe it or not, I was just doing a little quick math in my head. This is my 19th year working wow. for ESPN. And I'm so pumped to be coming back for the Dallas Open. They have an incredible field. And it's the first time they're having a tour level event since I played John McEnroe in the last WCT final in 1989 at the old reunion arena. And let me tell you, if you haven't been out to the SMU tennis facility, I was there about five years ago when I was in Dallas for the challenger at T-Bar-M racket club. It is absolutely spectacular. So we're thrilled to have uh, the ATP tour back in Dallas. How do you see Dallas as a tennis town well it is a tremendous tennis town i mean you have huge clubs brookhaven t bar m and you've had numerous challengers in the last 15 years and it's a huge tennis playing population in the dallas you know greater area so i i think that they will do a great job in supporting the event they have an amazing field for their first year they're going to have about 10 guys in the top 50 uh, um, and John Isner, a local resident. And you got three guys that are in the third round of the Australian Open who will be there. Riley Opelka, Cressy, and Taylor Fritz, not to mention Dimitrov, uh, Kei Nishikori, and there will be 10 Americans in the field. So it's a loaded field, but I think most importantly that a lot of people from Dallas, if they have not been to the SMU indoor facility, um, when I was there about five years ago, when I toured around, I couldn't believe they built replica, replica locker rooms of Wimbledon. It is an absolutely beautiful facility. And right on the other side of the in, indoor courts is the outdoor facilities. They're going to put down tents there. So there will be the, a, a great little uh, sponsored villa there where fans can get really close to the players. Um, I think it's an exciting prospect for the first year. And that, of course, that, that complex is built on the location of the old Mrs. Baird's Bakery. So I'm pretty sure it still smells pretty good over there, too, uh, 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 Brad. You can smell the bread from miles away. They, 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 you know, we always said. Uh, you, so you mentioned a number of players in the field. So break it down for us. Who do you like? Um, well, one, one person there that um, unfortunately didn't get to play Australia because he had to pull out right before he was going for COVID, is somebody to keep an eye on, Jensen Brooksby, who got to the round of 16 of the US Open last year. Um, and I think he's got a chance to be very good, the 21-year-old, in the next couple of years. And he was at Baylor for a year. He's from Northern Cal, but unfortunately didn't play one match because the, the year that he was there, he was injured. I think he's got an exciting prospect. Taylor Fritz, the number one American at the moment. Uh, and then we have the Twin Towers, you know, the seven-footer and Riley Opelka, local resident, John Isner. Um, so I, I think it's an exciting field with a lot of young players. Another guy that I mentioned first that's in the third round here of the Australian Open, who went four years to UCLA, Maxime Cressy. He's somebody that is an old-school player, serving volley on every point. And he's going to be tricky to play for somebody in Dallas. So, Brad, how would you uh, evaluate the American men's tennis scene compared to the international stage? Well, you know what? I, obviously, you know, we have great history. Uh, but it's been since 2003 that we've had a U.S. man win a slam. And that was Andy Roddick. But right now, we have got, you know, of the four guys, that are in the third round here at the Aussie Open that are left. Three are 24, one is 21. And we have lots of young guys on the come up. And I think we could easily have six or seven American 
finishing 2022 in the top 30 in the world. Now it kind of becomes about, can one of these guys make the next step? Can they make the quarters of a slam? Can they make the semis of a slam? Because I think that, you know, all true American fans, you know, want to see somebody, you know, go the distance. But I am very um, pleased at the direction that we're going. And we have a lot of good young players. And I think that, you know, a lot of times it's not just one that, that can make the breakthrough. But when you have somebody, you know, that really, you know, can make a big breakthrough, can pull some, you know, guys through. Sebastian Corda is another young player here that's in the third round that's got great potential. So I'm excited about the youth and, and the different styles of play. But I, I do think we've got a strong core and hopefully within the next three, four years, we will have somebody winning a major again. Well, I think we're very, very excited here in Dallas to, to get this first year uh, under our belt and uh, know that it's gonna be exciting. I know when uh, it was announced uh, that the, the Dallas community and tennis community here was very, very excited and uh, to see you know ATP Tour event come back to town. And we credit that to uh, kind of Peter Lebedevs, uh, who I think you have some uh, history with and have known for a very long time. He's a great partner of ours and he's a friend of the mic drop. We've had him on a, a few months ago as well. Give our listeners um, an idea of why you think Peter can really establish this long term uh, here in Dallas and, and this, this one can make it on the ATP tour. First of all, I'll give you a session. Peter is just good people. You know, mm -hmm. he, he's an incredibly passionate person about tennis. And this tournament's origin was in Memphis, Tennessee, where Peter started at. And he was there for a long time. And, and then the tournament moved to Long Island, now to Dallas. But he's somebody that is incredibly motivated, passionate, and he will get the local community behind this event. And that's the key is getting all of the local clubs and local communities behind this tournament. I think as much you know, about this tournament, it's a celebration too of that facility and getting a lot of young players. And so there's a mix of younger players and international players, which is a great thing. Um, but Peter is somebody that, you know, he's a career tennis person and he's somebody that really loves the sport, played it himself and been a tournament director. So having somebody that has the experience of Peter coming on board to start with a new tournament in a new town. I mean, you know, it, 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 it couldn't be a better fit. You know, it's like sometimes when you have a rookie coach you can have growing pains. You're not starting with a rookie coach. I think, Sully, you hit the mute. BG, you mentioned uh, Opelka at, at uh, seven feet, uh, our own uh, John Isner at 6'10". Of course, we know that Dirk Nowitzki loves tennis and played a lot growing up. But why, why are we now seeing 6'10 and 7-foot players on the ATP Tour? You get, I get the wingspan. Uh, argument, but you've also got to be able to move. Is this a trend that you think will continue? And what's, what's this all about? Well, there's quite a few guys that are six, six and above. Um, and obviously when they're starting, when they're really young, you know, you know, maybe they don't know they're going to be seven feet tall or six, 10, but you, you know, when you see a guy like Riley Opelka, he is moving like a small forward. He doesn't move like John, you know, has the monster serve monster forehand. But he would tell you his game isn't about, you know, running corner to corner. He'd be more like, I know he, you know, his game would probably be shooting threes, but he certainly wouldn't be like a gazelle out there. But Opelka is more like, you know, kind of like a seven foot, like I said, like a, a small forward. Um, it's got kind of like a dirt game, but I, he's actually quicker than dirt. Um, but I, I think that, you know, that all sports, you know, obviously players are getting bigger, but I, tennis is a game that, you know, obviously, you know, you control your own destiny. You don't have teammates. And um, I'm sure that Riley got more than anything, you know, what team you play for, you know, what's your game like, or he's either gotten mistaken for Isner or what basketball team that you play for. But obviously with that size, you know, it gives you the opportunity to be able to pound your serve and do some things. But 
nobody, um, believe it or not, six seven above has yet to win a slam. Kevin Anderson at six eight is the tallest to make. Uh, he made two slam finals. He made a U.S. Open final and a Wimbledon final. So Riley, you know, would you know want to be like the tallest, you know, Grand Slam champion ever, or he just probably tell you, I just want to be a Grand Slam champion. Don't want to talk about me being seven feet tall. So as we get you out of here, uh, BG, give our fans uh, and our listeners here a reason to come out. You mentioned the, the kind of access that fans are going to have there uh, over at SMU. But what, why should somebody who hasn't seen live tennis on the ATP tour in a while go out and make sure they, they get a ticket at DallasOpen.com? Well, I, I like to think of seeing live tennis is an experience that if you haven't seen it, you know, a little bit like hockey, where a lot of people have watched hockey on TV and all of a sudden you go to see it live and you don't realize how fast it is, how, you know, the skill set. It's the same when you go to watch tennis for the first time live. You don't realize how big they're hitting the ball, how quick they're moving. And in a a venue like this, there's not going to be a bad seat in the joint. You're going to be able to see it up close. So, I, I tell people that if you've never seen it, come join us. You will love the experience. You will come back. That's what I can tell you about tennis. It's a sport truly for a lifetime. But when you see it firsthand played at this level, you will be excited. You will want to come back. You will want to bring your friends. Brad, thanks for your time today. The Dallas Open ATP Tour returning to Dallas for the first time in 33 years starting on February 6th at the Steislinger Altec Complex at SMU. Well, S- Sully, I wanted to ask you something. You, I, I was thinking when you were tying that whole 46 together, I was thinking somehow you were going to tie me together with some 46 nugget, that there was some nugget on me <laughs> for 46, you know? Uh, so I, I was waiting for that. Where, where was the 46 nugget on me? I don't know it exists, but well, I did like the nugget, but I was just a little jealous that I wasn't in the 46 nugget. Well, you know, you know, tennis players don't have jersey numbers, so it's it's tough. But maybe we can come up with for a future episode uh, to have to have you in and tie it to some uh, to some number. We always try to match up our episode number with the jersey number of a prominent local uh, athlete. We started this at about episode ten uh, and have been kind of rolling with it. I don't know what we'll do when we get to number hundred, uh, God willing. Uh, but that that's the story behind our uh, our featured. Uh, number I like, well, you know what so. keep it going whatever your number is he, he, you know because a lot of tennis players are superstitious like numbers so i, I like that you, your numerology you're going on the digging and i uh, look forward to seeing you guys in dallas and spread the love dallas is rocking for tennis again hey really appreciate it brad it's been fun having you on take care and now over to rachel with a word from one of our sponsors The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information. You may know Rachel Lindsay from ABC's The Bachelorette and The Bachelor. She was the first African-American lead in the franchise's history on the 13th season of The Bachelorette, where, of course, she met her husband, Brian and is a contestant on the 21st season of The Bachelor. But Rachel is much more than that. In fact, she may be the most interesting person in show business, a Dallas native, UT grad. There you go, Monica. Monica's supposed to have a hook'em sound effect or something, Rachel. We got to work on that. No, we need to get that, that built into the this podcast. The is enough. Yeah. Right. Everybody yeah, you, knows it worldwide. <laughs> Rachel See? is a big, big sports fan. She's also an attorney, for crying out loud, a correspondent for Extra, co-host of the Ringers Higher Learning with Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay podcast. That's the home of, of the uh, Truth Warriors. We, we think we've got a few Truth Warriors in, in the mic drop audience too, Rachel. Her, <laughs> as if that's not enough, her first book comes out on January 25th. It's called Miss Me With That, a collection of personal essays featuring hot takes, helpful tidbits, and a few hard truths. She's a philanthropist and advocate, currently an ambassador once again this year for the College Football Playoff Foundation's Extra Yards for Teachers program. I'm exhausted just reading it, much <laughs> less doing it. Uh, Rachel, thanks so much. Obviously, you're the busiest woman in town. Really appreciate a few minutes here today on the mic drop. 
Thank you so much for having me. Also quite the introduction, I have to say. Thank you for that. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> well, Rachel, with uh, you being so busy, you split your time between, I think, Dallas, LA, Miami. Um, do you have time to still follow Dallas sports? And if so, uh, are you still fans or are you, a, is there a specific team that you're, you're a fan of or at the top of your list? Great question, Monica. So glad you asked. If you know anything about me, no matter what city I'm in, people say, where are you from? And I say, Dallas. Oh, but I live in LA, you know, Dallas. Oh, I live in Miami. I said, I will never give up Texas. Okay. I am. It is in me. That being said, I still follow my Dallas Cowboys. I am that obnoxious fan everywhere I go. You know, we can, we can have a record of, you know, one, whatever. And I, that has not happened obviously, but I am, I put up a video actually on social media of me like going around the office with uh, like a horn, dancing in people's faces when the Cowboys won. I am a Cowboys fan to the core. Well, I, I love to hear that. Uh, we always like when uh, people, uh, you know, from Dallas, maybe still live here every now and then, but uh, are living in LA or still repping and uh, promoting Dallas, whether it is the Cowboys or, or our city. So we really appreciate you continuing to, to stay loyal. Uh, been to any UT uh, games uh, uh, lately and still support our horns? Still support the horns. I was supposed to go to a game this year. It was the one versus Texas Tech and I couldn't make it. I mean, as you, we all know, traveling is a lot different these days. So I haven't been to one since um, COVID, but I plan on getting back. I still support, I still keep in contact with them. I worked for the athletic department when I was at UT. So it's, um, I still support it for sure. I actually sit on the advisory council for the College of Education. Oh, fantastic. Good to know. <laughs> so we're, we're getting into education. Maybe this is where it stemmed from, and I'm sure before that, but uh, tell us a little bit of about why you wanted to be involved with the CFP uh, Foundation's Extra Yard for Teachers program, and what has been your experience as an ambassador for that program? It's a funny start because I wanted them. They didn't necessarily want me yet. They didn't know me. You know, a lot of times when you do a reality TV show, you are reintroducing yourself back to society because they first met you in one particular way. And so I remember I sat down with them, a mutual friend introduced me in Dallas, of course. And um, I explained to them that I used to be a substitute teacher for an entire year. I was a long-term teacher at Alexander Elementary in Duncanville, shout out to them. And um, I, I ended up getting a gig as a PE teacher K through fourth all year. And it moved me to the point where I almost didn't go to law school. I, I was studying for my LSAT, but I took that experience. I wrote about it as I was applying to law schools and it just meant so much to me. And so I always knew I wanted to do something to get back and give back to education. My mom was a teacher for 20 years um, and she's retired now. My aunts and uncles are teachers and coaches. So education is deeply rooted in my family. And so it's just an honor to be a part of a foundation that is all about inspiring and uplifting and encouraging teachers, especially after the last couple of years that they've had. So I joined in 2018 and I've been going with them in to every city and it's they do such things on such a large scale like nationally helping out with teachers and classrooms but particularly whatever city the college football playoff is in you know they spend time there with the schools with the programs finding what the needs are and tapping into it so it's just a, such a rewarding experience like I, I'm like please every year bring me back bring me back can I be a part of this <laughs> Well, Rachel, I know there was one episode that both Sully and I had to talk about uh, who our favorite teacher was or our memories when we were growing up in our childhood. So do you have a favorite teacher or favorite memory when you were uh, growing up that may have influenced you? Yes. Um, for me, it was definitely Mrs. Hewlett. Now, I went to First Baptist Academy my entire life, preschool all the way to graduation, and which is where my mom taught as well. And um, Mrs. Hewlett was a teacher like I had never seen before. She came from Australia and she just had, she taught government, she taught history, AP, that's a slight little, you know, like pat on my shoulder. And um, she was just all about free thinking and going to such a small private um, school and religious space, I, which I appreciate that foundation. It was just so nice to have someone 
come in and teach you things that were outside of your bubble and to encourage you to be creative. And I remember we would watch movies, but then we would talk about the themes and the symbolism within them and how they related to history. And I just, it, it completely captivated me and just the conversations that we would have outside of the classroom as well. So she is one of my favorite teachers. Now shifting gears just a little bit uh, from education to something a little slightly less important, but uh, my daughter, Amy and her husband, Eric are devoted members of Bachelor Nation. <laughs> and uh, when I when this interview got set up, I texted him immediately and you know said, "Hold on to your underwear. I'm meeting <laughs> Rachel Lindsay." And so they they submitted a question, and they oh, awesome. uh, Amy, yeah, and Amy Amy wrote in and, and said, "You know, the spotlight that you must have felt like you were under on both of those shows and both of those experiences is just something. Not even most big time celebrities go through that type of." you know, laser focused scrutiny, uh, like you, you did, what did, what did you take away from that experience, both personally and professionally that served you well today, emerging as you launched your career coming out of that? Yeah. Great question. Um, I think coming into it, I was a little ignorant as to the magnitude of the situation. I didn't watch the show before, so I didn't understand that there was a bachelor nation and there were these devoted fans. I didn't really get what I was, grasp what I was doing. Um, it wasn't until Bachelorette, and I actually had a little mini breakdown right before I announced me being the Bachelorette because I realized this was getting so much attention. But then after I got through that, oh, excuse me. After I got through that, I realized it was bigger than me. And that became my focus more than the actual show. It was the impact of what I was doing, being the first Black Bachelorette. So many women who look like me, who are watching the show, who feel themselves represented, who feel like they too can have their fairy tale ending and not just see the same, you know, Bachelorette who looks the same way, get that, achieve that. And I would get a lot of that feedback from mothers who watch it with their daughters or just even now saying, hey, you were the first season I watched, or I came back to the show because I saw myself represented. So for me, that has been everything. And it was my motivation to say yes to do the show. I'm just blessed that I got you know, the, the cherry on top, which was actually finding love on the show. I never thought that that could actually happen. I was, I'm so skeptical, but I'm so glad that I was wrong. And then just moving forward, I knew that whatever I did, I didn't want to leave that behind. like my, my reason for coming on the show I didn't want that to end when my time on the show ended I wanted to continue to see a diverse cast a diverse leads people behind the camera just so all types of people can see themselves represented on a show that has such a major impact on society I mean there's a reason it's entering its 20th season it's huge so I've always said that I will be vocal maybe not now, but I was that I was be vocal on, you know, changes that need to be implemented in the show so other people can have this amazing experience, because at the end of the day, it is. It, it, it's amazing. And, you know, from that experience, you, you know, you've got the book coming out, uh, January 25th, Miss Me With That. What does the title mean? Where does that come from? And tell us about the book. So it's definitely a slang title. It's something I always say on my podcast is when I'm dismissing something that my co-host is saying, we fight like brother and sister. I'm like, oh, you can miss me with, you know, that opinion, that argument or whatever it is that he said. And that kind of is just my attitude to the way people perceive me. I feel very misunderstood in Bachelor Nation because I'm very outspoken. And I think a lot of times with bachelorettes, they want us to be seen, but not heard from. And it's funny because I was billed as the bachelorette who was this attorney and outspoken, but I, I feel like it's only good in some instances and not in every single one. So miss me with that is kind of like, you can miss me with all your preconceived notions, um, you know, your attitude, this, like as each essay in the book is something that you can miss me with, your intrusiveness, that maybe a friendship, maybe, you know, like just various things. And so I thought it would be fun because I didn't want it to seem so heavy there are parts of the book that are, but I wanted a light title. So, you know, you know what you're getting. A little at, a little sass, um, a little, there's a lot of emotion in the book, but there's a lot of heart. And I'm sure it's uplifting when you put it all together. It really is. Each chapter, I should say essay, each essay ends with 
a lesson, maybe something I learned from the experience or I, I learned as I finished writing it, um, not in a preachy way, just more of something I wish someone would have said to me while I was in my 20s. But then as I was writing the book, I realized I'm still learning things about myself at the same time. So I was, I'm, I'm still learning lessons. I'm a work in progress, but it's definitely uplifting and inspiring. I feel like each chapter, each essay stands alone. Now, the, you know, becoming a writer is, is the latest version of your media life. I, I, I guess maybe with the exception of shortwave radio, you've done about every possible form of media there is when you look at your, you know, Steve, the Steve Harvey radio experience and, you know, your time at ESPN and NFL Network and Extra and uh, the Bachelorette and Bachelor we talked about, podcasting, huge social media following. Uh, what, where is all this going? Are, are people well-served by today's media landscape? What do, you, what do you think? Well, I think it shows that you no longer have to be put in a box in what it is that you're doing. There's so much media content to consume and there's so many different ways that you can get a message out or communicate with with one another or your audience um, in whatever medium you choose to do that in. And so for me, I always say, I wanna be something that you can watch, you can listen to, you can read from. Um, There's so much more because if I'm on extra, it's a 20 minute show. So there's only so much I can do and I share that stage with other people. When I'm podcasting, that's a different type of audience and it's a different type of show. When I'm writing, I get to pick whatever it is that I wanna write about that I'm passionate about or something that's just moving me, that's currently happening in our society. And I love that. I thought TV was all I wanted to do, but I have found such joy in radio and in podcasting because you can just go for it. And it's been fun to be creative and to spread my wings and to produce certain segments and guests. And I just love talking to people. I really, really do. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to or just communicating with people, I should say. See, Sully, we can just go for it and spread our wings and we don't have to worry about what we're saying on this on this podcast. Yeah, see, Rachel's got it. Well, beware. You know- Beware, because it comes back at me sometimes. Yeah, we're going for it from now on, starting with this one, episode 46. It's a whole new chapter. (laughs) I I support you. (laughs) Rachel, you've had an uh, amazing journey. Um, What advice do you have for for young people these days? Uh, Maybe some of our mic drop uh, listeners. Um, Yeah, what, what should they be focusing on? I love the mic drop reference. I just have to say that before I forget to say that again. I love that it's called mic drop. Um, I, when I speak to colleges, I, I always think like, take myself back to college students, I should say. I always take myself back to when I was in their seat. And what do I wish that someone would have said to me? I don't know if I would have, you know, taken it to heart, but I would have at least heard it. And for me, I feel like a lot, a lot of my 20s was me living the life that I was supposed to live rather than capitalizing on what I wanted for myself. I knew it, but I was too afraid to go for it. So I, the advice I would say is ask yourself the question, whose life is it that you're living? And then once you answer that, you know, maybe you're doing it for somebody else. Maybe you're doing what you think you should do. Maybe it's a boss, a mentor, a friend, whatever it may be. But once you decide what it is that you want to do, don't let fear hold you back from going after it. Don't think you're too young, too much, so many other people are doing it. You know, there's plenty of seats at the table because you're different and you're adding your unique perspective to it. And uh, I think that that's the best thing that I can say because fear, I really feel that fear is the root of all evil and it holds us back from doing so many things that we would otherwise do because we're afraid of what people may say or what they may think. And I lived that way for such a long time until I didn't. And I always check myself all the time. I'm like, okay, it's in LA, it's 218 on a Thursday. What would I be doing if I never said yes to The Bachelor? What would I be doing? Would I be staring out the window wondering what's on the other side of the rainbow? Would I be feeling this lack of of fulfillment, you know, because my career was plateauing or I had come out of this dead end, this relationship that was going nowhere? I always take myself back to that to check myself. And then say, I have no regrets because I, you know, spread my wings. I released myself to do, I took a chance. And, you know, if none of it works back, you can fall back on whatever it is that you were doing before. 
for being small. <laughs> Boy, mic drop listeners, I hope you just took that in because I think that's uh, that's pretty powerful. And I think a, a lot of people need to sit back and, uh, and, and listen to what Rachel just said and take a look at uh, in the mirror and think maybe some of those same things about yourself. But um, obviously an amazing journey. You've done so many things before we let you go because we know we're pushing your time limit here. What's next? What's uh, left on that bucket list? I know there's some bucket list items for Rachel Lindsay, and uh, maybe you can't share them all, and some are secret and you're working on, and you know you're going to be releasing soon. But give us a few nuggets in terms of what's on that uh, bucket list. You know, it's interesting. The type A in me would have normally would normally have like a bullet point list, and I'm like checking things off. But what I have appreciated so much about the turn that my life has taken since 2016 is that it's, I'm not even doing what I initially said I wanted to do when I started all of this. And I've really just been following, you know, my heart, my, my intuition, and just saying, you know, opportunities that come to me, putting myself out there, manifesting certain things. You like the ringer I had written, I really want to work with Bill Simmons. And then bam, like two years later, that happened. So I, I don't want to limit myself by saying what I plan on doing. I'm just more like, I want to be open to whatever opportunity comes my way because it's been so much bigger than I even thought. You know, the saying is like, you make plans and God laughs. Like I'm really giving him like, like he's holding his stomach laughing so hard at me because nothing that I said that I was going to do has happened. And I'm glad that I was wrong about it. So um, we'll just have to see. I don't even know to answer your question, but uh, I'm open to whatever. That sounds great. We're good with that answer. And I can tell you that uh, Sully and I, from a mic drop standpoint, and our Tony Faye PR team will be continuing to follow Rachel Lindsay and whatever uh, your next step and whatever you, you say yes to next. So really, really uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, good luck with uh, the book. We'll definitely uh, be reading that and uh, look forward to uh, joining us down the way. Thank you so much. You can get the book on Penguin Random House website, Amazon, Target, wherever you buy books. Um, thank you guys so much for having me. I've had so much fun. I swear, if I didn't have a heart out, I'd keep talking to you. I really would. We'll have to do this again. <laughs> that sounds great. We'll take you up on that. <laughs> Thanks, guys, so much. Bye. Take care. Be safe. Thank you. And now over to Rachel for a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. What a pleasure to be joined by George Dunham, longtime friend, going back to the uh, 80s in his KRLD days, a day one star of the ticket, uh, where he teams up with Craig Miller and Gordon Keith to form the Musers, which I think everyone on earth listens to every morning, pretty much. Uh, the Musers and the ticket were honored with, with two Marconi Awards at the end of 2021. And what this is like being named the Sports Station of the Year and the Musers being named the Major Market Sports Personalities of the Year is like, you know, your team winning the Super Bowl and you being named MVP. <laughs> Of, uh, for the for the season so uh congratulations on that george we've all enjoyed listening uh to to the musers for many many years and real happy for you on that now this week uh i've been listening every morning and you have really been it's been autopsy time for the dallas cowboys yeah and we've been and doing so, that a lot in the last 26 years done that a lot the last 26 years <laughs> so let's let's try to turn the page and look ahead what do you think they do in the offseason uh, and with the draft uh, in response to what has transpired in the last uh, week here and here with the Cowboys. Oh man. Uh, you know, that's the one thing I think they are a very talented team. I think they've got a lot of things going for them, but as you know, it's, it's tough to keep that going from year to year. Uh, they've got all sorts of unrestricted free agents uh, that I think they're going to have a hard time retaining because they're already paying their quarterback, their running back, uh, several offensive linemen and defensive linemen, a lot of money. 
So um, they're going to lose some guys. And in the even if they brought back everybody next year, I think this team needs some help. And I really think they need help in the offensive line. Um, I, I, it may be tough to get a, a, a walk-in starter at either guard or center, but I think they need that. And um, I think they could use um, another tackle. It may be time to move on from Tyron Smith. Um, you know, they have, they've got some really tough decisions to make with unrestricted free agents at uh, skill positions. Uh, how much do you pay Dalton Schultz to hang on to him? How much do you pay Cedric Wilson and Michael Gallup? You know, can you hang on to both of those guys? Probably not. So you got to make a choice. Do you keep Gallup coming off of now? He's going to need uh, ACL surgery and, um, and maybe you cut ties with Amari Cooper. Um, they've got some really tough decisions. Plus, they're about to lose. Um, they're both coordinators, I, I think, at least one of them. I think Dan Quinn is headed somewhere. I'm not sure Kellen Moore is their offensive coordinator, but Mike McCarthy said as much yesterday, this team's going to look a lot different next year, and that's just kind of life in the NFL. Everyone goes through that. So, George, you hit on a key point earlier. You said 26 years. Um, the Cowboys haven't reached the Super Bowl since you and Craig went on the air in 1995. So could there actually be a Dunham Miller jinx going on here? Uh, there could be. I, I, I won't leave that, but I, I will say this. We went on the air in the afternoon in 94. We moved to mornings in October of 95. We were actually at Super Bowl 30 uh, when they played the Steelers and won. Um that's a lasting memory. We were doing our show from the Buttes um, Resort there in Tempe. And uh, I have a vivid memory of Troy Aikman and Dale Hansen uh, coming back from the Cowboys party at six o'clock in the morning as we were going on the air. So uh, I can barely remember that far. Um, I can remember Super Bowls, but I, you know, I think a lot of people are frustrated by it. Um, it's just, you know, Look, you, you don't uh, you don't have the right to go to the Super Bowl every year. You don't have the right to go to the playoffs every year. But there was a standard that was established here in the '60s and '70s, and uh, heck, even the '80s. Cowboys uh, late in Tom Landry's career went to three straight NFC title games. We would take that in a heartbeat. I know that stinks too when you don't quite get there. Uh, and then, of course, what they did in the '90s. It's just it's amazing that they're down there with. Um, the, the Browns and the Lions and and the Bengals as a franchise that just hadn't been there in 26 years. And who knows, the Bengals may go this year. They're still in the tournament. George, this is the portion of the podcast where we talk about what we're downloading and streaming. It could be music. I know you're a music guy. Uh, it could be radio, TV, yeah. movies, books. Mark Fowler always shows up with actual books because he's, he's an intellectual type, as you know. Uh, but we're going to start with Monica this week. So Monica, what are you, what are you streaming, uh, downloading and, and, and watching? Sorry, Sally, since uh, Yellowstone is uh, over for the season, uh, I have switched and got caught up on 1883. And I have to say, I'm, I'm liking it just as much as Yellowstone and really, I don't think shocked is the right word, but impressed with, uh, the, the work that, uh, both, Tim and Faith have uh, have done here. Obviously, Sam Elliott, but uh, you know Tim and Faith and, and the other cast that they have. So I'll continue to to watch 1883. Yeah, I think we need to put Taylor Sheridan on our bucket list of uh, mic drop guests because he he lives on a ranch in Weatherford, so he's got to be around here sometimes. And and uh, hopefully, he's a fan of of our sports teams. So George, what what about you? Are you uh, what are you downloading and streaming these days? Uh, I guess as far as streaming goes, and I guess this would have, uh, one of them would be available on, you know, your regular cable or satellite HBO, but uh, I did stream the entire season in a, in a few days of uh, Hard Knocks, the regular season with the Indianapolis Colts. I highly recommend that. I mean, it as good as it is, and I love Hard Knocks. I thought the Cowboys edition this last August was really good. But this is the regular season and it's real life drama. You're not trying to, you know, generate drama in the preseason. This is real drama, real stories with a really interesting and good team, the Indianapolis Colts. And man, when they got beat by the Jacksonville Jaguars, I knew it was going to be sad. That's the one show that I just, uh, I streamed after the season was over, but I mean, it really did. You know, we always 
talk about that connection that you may have in radio or television where you connect with your audience. I felt so connected to the Indianapolis Colts. It was just a gut, gut, pinch, uh, gut punch um, to see Carson Wentz have more failure and Frank Reich and uh, just the, the Forrest Buckner, all the characters they have on that team. And it's really, really good. Sully, I know you would like it. I, being around sports, as long as you've been around it, I, th- I think you would really enjoy it. Yeah, I heard you talking about it on the air the other morning, and I'm definitely going to uh, check it out. I like those behind-the-scenes shows. Uh, there is a familiarity to them, and you're right. It, is, it has rarely been done in the regular season. I give the NHL credit. They've done some of that over the years, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, it's good. So I will definitely check that out. Now, another – so my download this week, my stream, is, is also – a Donovan Miller recommendation, but it's from the Miller half of the equation. I heard Craig in his entertainment report this week talk about the movies that he liked best this year. And he said Coda was clearly the number one movie of the year. And yeah. it kind of sounded like a chick flick to me. So I, <laughs> I went to my wife, Joanne, and I said, you know, I got something for us to watch uh, tonight after dinner. And we sat down and, and watched it. And of course, I was a sobbing mess by the end of it. Coda stands for Children of Deaf Adults. It's really? a story of a yeah. uh, of a high school student who's a great singer and all that comes with that living in a family and working in a family on a fishing boat in Gloucester there are some sports connections there's a Boston Bruins hoodie and a Boston Red Sox cap that are uh, in in many many scenes but it is extraordinary and so he, here's my tip if you're listening to the mic drop while you're driving around on your lunch hour call in sick immediately go home and watch this uh, it is a fantastic movie and we, I, I have to give all the credit to uh to, to Craig Miller. So you got to check it out too, if you haven't already. Yeah. That's interesting. You got all those ones he listed. They all sounded good, but that's at the top. I, I want to see that. That sounds really, really good. Now, before we let you go, you, uh, you mentioned uh, all the decisions the Cowboys have to make and you said it'll be a challenge to prioritize them. What do you think? Is Schultz the top priority? Is it in terms of their 22 free agents that they have to figure out what to do with uh, given uh, you know, the, the, the limits that they have uh, to spend? That's a really good question. I almost, I almost think they have to do an either or with Gallup and Cooper. And if it's Cooper, then I think they could maybe hang on the Schultz, although Jarwin's on the books for a decent amount. My, this is just a guess. Um, because he's younger, even though he's coming off ACL, which may limit him till maybe next September or so, I wonder if they move on and um, – and drop the $22 million salary of Cooper and have Gallup, C.D. Lamb, and Cedric Wilson. That's just a guess, but, well, that's a tough one. And Schultz is, um, you know, t- proved to be a really good receiver. I think he, um, he had his problems blocking, so I don't know. Maybe they feel like they can go out and get another young tight end or a bargain basement free agent tight end and, and fill in there. That's just a hunch. That's just a guess on my part. But I do have a question for you, Sully. I okay. hope you I hope you appreciate that the last two times we've had Mark Cuban on the show, I've brought up the dancing dogs and to bring them back. No one seems to remember them. Oh yeah, and I loved them. It was like one of my kids' favorite things when Kevin McCarthy would say, "You're dancing dogs," and they'd come out, you know, and yeah, you know, and their for paws. Those, for those who don't know what George is talking about, this was in the pre-video board, you know, dot matrix uh, scoreboard era. And there were these yellow dogs. And, you know, I believe it was a guy named Mike Garner at Reunion Arena who came up with that, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, and it was a big hit. And, and uh, uh, even though it was very, you know, rudimentary uh, animation, by to, certainly by today's standards. Uh, and I, I agree with you there. I think the dancing dogs would be good. I, I would like to see uh, a return to his former uh, uh, glory for Mavs Man. You know, Mavs Man used to, uh, the original Mavs Man was dunking off of trampolines and was yeah. much, was an athletic, uh, you know, feature at the games and was very popular, did community events. And somewhere along the way, he sort of became the second fiddle, I think, to Champ, uh, the horse mascot, yeah. which I don't understand at all. So, uh, you know, I'll have to put that on, a, on, on, on my list of things to ask about one of these days. See, I worry about that stuff more than free agency. What's your mascot? Is he any good? I have to say, Mavs Man was a little scary for the kids. The new horse is a little. How about this? How about we have two, speaking of dogs, 
<laughs> this one just walked up. Uh, speaking of dogs, why don't we do um, two dancing dogs? And they're in full costume. And those are your mascots. I, I think it's a great idea. I think, you know, the Mavericks do a great job with the game, you know, the fan experience and the game entertainment. I love the drum line. Yeah. You know, I love the maniacs. You know, I, I really, the halftime is usually very entertaining, uh, but I think there's some, some improvements uh, to be made here when it comes to let's, let's bring back the dancing dogs. In <laughs> fact, we had a, uh, back in about 2000 and, uh, two or three. I was at NBC Sports at the time, and we put together. I didn't have much to do with it, but there was a reunion of of, of Maverick staffers at Reunion oh, cool. Arena, and uh, Mary Keen, who worked in the uh, promotional business and you know T-shirt screen printing and that sort of thing, uh, printed these long sleeve T-shirts for everybody at the reunion, and the logo on the shirts were were the dancing dogs. So, so, you know, I don't have mine anymore, but, but, uh, oh, you know, man. I love the work is out there. Let's bring them back. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm with you. We're, bring them back. We're, yeah. We're yeah. Always great to see it. Thanks for coming on. You, you know, we too, normally Sully. record this. Yeah. We normally record the mic drop while you're on the air. So we did went a little later today, uh, for other reasons. And then the happy, uh, Result of that was that we get to talk to, to you. So congratulations on the Thank two you. big awards for the ticket. Well-deserved, really cool. I'm really happy for you. And uh, thanks for coming on today. And, and on behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to our guest, Brad Gilbert, Rachel Lindsay. How cool was that? Uh, you're usually the biggest star everywhere you go, George. But today we had <laughs> Rachel Lindsay. Yeah, that's program. pretty big. That's pretty big. Uh, thanks to the Mike Drop production team, Daniel Whitelaw, Pescura, Angela Lund, Marcus Carr, Eddins. Those are, those are good people. Mark and Jay at Vocal Media. Of course, our showrunner and visionary, Tony Faye. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.